I'm Graham Lynch. Welcome to Comms Day Live. Now, sorry we've missed a couple of weeks. I've, I've been a little unwell, and specifically, I lost my voice, which is um, not really terribly good for the purposes of a podcast. But I'm back, a little hoarse, but um, other than that, fighting fit. Now, today we've uh, got an interesting interview with a visiting senior vice president from Ribbon Communications, David Hiscox, who was in town. Um, talking about what Ribbon are up to. But first, um, obligatory for us to talk about the Optus data hack and uh, what happened there. So just to recap, in case you, you you haven't been paying any attention whatsoever to media over the last two weeks, on, on the 22nd of September, Optus revealed that it had lost um, the order of 9 million database records of former and current customers to a hacker. And in the days which ensued, in the days that ensued, um, the purported hacker posted on a, um, a, a, bre- a data breach forum where these things are sold, that he had the list and uh, that he wanted to sell it um, to Optus for a million US dollars. And he gave them a week to do so. And to show that he was serious, he posted 10,000 or so of the customer IDs online. And pretty much everyone seems to agree that they were the real deal. He legitimately uh, could make the claim that he had that database. And then um, within an hour or so of him posting the 10,000 customer IDs, he, he, he had a major mea culpa and said, oh, I'm very sorry about this. <laughs> I... I, I, I I would have alerted Optus if they had a bug bounty program, but they didn't. So thus I went down the path. But I'm really sorry about all the inconvenience, da 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 da. And he disappeared off into the blue yonder. But that did not end the issue. There are 10,000 names out there in public for um, any scammer to take advantage of. And, and we couldn't take the hacker at the word. Potentially, those nine or 10 million other records might be floating around the ether somewhere and could still be exploited. So then the debate, or the then the um, the issue, became about one of Voptus's cooperation with authorities um, and various accusations being made by, by government ministers that they'd been slow and tardy in, being, in responding to requests to share that information with the likes of, of Medicare and so on. Um, so they could cross match and, and potentially protect people's identities, um, and then and then it transpired uh, um, just yesterday um, on the uh, the sixth of October that uh, the the regulations weren't actually in place to enable Optus to do things like share specific customer identity information with banks, financial institutions, and agencies, and these things would have to be regulated um, and. Uh, Michelle Rowland and Jim Chalmers fronted up to explain all about that. So it's it's been quite, I, I think, an unedifying two weeks. I don't think anyone has come out particularly well from this. Um, I think having a, a conga line of government ministers hoeing into Optus did not do much to assuage the anxiety of potentially affected Optus customers. I don't, I don't really see how their anxieties have been quelled by ministers lining up to criticise Optus. And in some respects, in, in hindsight, it looks a little, little unfair, some of those criticisms. Um, 
At the same time, I'm not sure Optus have covered themselves in glory either. Look, to be fair to them, within 24 hours of them discovering the breach two weeks ago, they did front the media. It was under under a controlled environment. The questions to CEO Kelly Bayer-Rosmarin had to be texted in over chat and were chosen and read out by a public affairs executive. Um, so it wasn't a completely unfettered press conference. But then, but then after that, Optus pretty much went to ground um, for a week or so. Um, and apart from giving a couple of interviews to elite broadsheet uh, titles, um, which seemed to largely be designed to rebut criticisms of Optus by government. Um, and, and at the same time, the messaging that it was sending to customers was a little confusing. Um, you know, lots and lots of examples of of texts, uh, emails, and and even letters going out from Optus that left in recipients a little confused as to what it was they were supposed to do to protect their identities. Um, Optus tried to make up for that last weekend with some advertising across the Saturday and Sunday newspapers, apologising. And, and clarifying its messaging. And it did get its messaging on track after a week or so. And, and that messaging is much more succinct now. So it did take, it took about, about a week for Optus to really work out what it wanted to say. And, and now it's, it's doing that. Um, but some, you know, also some weird emissions. I mean, you, there was an insatiable thirst for information about this. Um, and Optus didn't really front up to media to explain what customers should do. It basically went on a media silence. Um, and that void was obviously filled by um, respect to technology commentators, um, people like Trevor Lon, Stephen Fennick. Now, they did between them, they estimate 80, 90 media interviews in that first week. And um, both of them claim that at no stage did they get any kind of briefing or support from Optus in terms of um, clarifying misinformation or anything like that. And if, that, if that's the case, that that is a major omission by Optus. Like if there's people out there trying to explain to anxious end customers what you should do in terms of identity and what actually happened, then you should be supporting them with information. And that seems not to have been the case. So... Um, here we are two weeks on, government and Optus seem to have their act together now um, in terms of messaging. Um, and what, what we'll do is listen to some of the primary source audio of what happened. We're going to start off with Optus CEO Kelly Bayer-Rosmarin and a video that went up on the Optus website at the start of the week, which I, I think gives a very sort of succinct, um, a succinct four-minute explanation of what Optus is doing and what in customers should do. Let's have a listen to it. Everybody, I'd like to provide an update on the cyber attack at Optus. As you know, just over a week ago, we sounded the alarm broadly that up to 9.8 million Australians may have had some of their personal information accessed during a cyber attack on Optus. Since then, we have been working collaboratively with other organizations, government departments, and more than 20 licensing authorities to obtain the right information so that we could inform and update our customers. 
We also had to meticulously reconstruct from logs exactly what information the hackers were able to access so that any information we provided to customers was accurate and complete. This was an exercise that we wish we could have done instantly, but it did take us some time to do so. And we also had to work with licensing authorities, all of whom have different rules all of whom have different information that's required in order to validate checks on those types of IDs. We're now in a position to say that 7.7 .7 million customers do not need to take further action. 2.1 million customers have had an identity document number exposed where they may need to take action. And that number includes 900,000 customers for whom the identity document that was exposed has expired, but we are still awaiting confirmation from those licensing authorities about whether action needs to be taken. For the 1.2 million customers where action should be taken and is advised, all of those customers have been reached out to and already should know that they are in the position to take action. I would like to thank all of the various departments that we're working closely with who share our primary objective of safeguarding our customers from harm. And our aim is to prevent harm from coming to any customer as a result of this breach. While the numbers have come down, we are disappointed that even one customer's information could be accessed. And we are deeply, deeply sorry that this could occur especially because we genuinely care about safeguarding our customers' information and we invest millions of dollars and have teams of people whose job it is to prevent something like this from happening. That is why we have launched an independent review into what has occurred so we can understand what happened and make sure it doesn't happen again and that we do better. I also want to thank all the various governments and agencies who've been working with us and especially call out the head of the Australian Signals Directorate and the team at the Australian Centre for Cybersecurity who have been working hand in glove with us, as well as the police commissioner and the Australian Federal Police who are trying to track down the parties responsible for this, as well as launching Project Guardian to make sure that the customers who have had the data leaked on the web briefly, the 10,000 customers are being protected. And I want to assure everybody that all 10,000 of those customers have been notified by Optus and that we will work very closely with the AFP to do everything we can to help safeguard those customers. To our knowledge, there is no other release of the information of the customers that have been exposed and we will keep all of our customers updated if we hear that that has changed. I want to end just by letting everybody know that the team at Optus is doing everything that we possibly can to ensure that no harm comes to our customers as a result of this attack. We've heard the feedback from our customers and we will keep refining our communications to make it clearer and simpler. As you can all appreciate, every licensing department has different requirements and we have undertaken that our website will be a single source of truth and give you the most up-to-date information that you need to know. 
So I encourage anybody who still has questions to go to the website. And we thank you for your feedback. We thank you for your loyalty. We thank you for standing by Optus. And we are committed to stand by you. We have unlimited energy to do the right thing, to understand what went wrong, and to make sure it never happens again. Okay, now, um, as I mentioned before, um, this was all happening in the context of a conga line of ministers lining up to bag Optus at every opportunity for a, its alleged non-responsiveness and, and, and so on. Bill Shorten um, and Claire O'Neill were the ones who perhaps said the most extreme things. But I, I do want to mention that, that, um, that the, the Stephen Jones, the financial services minister, out of all the ministers was the most measured and he, he pointed out that we don't want to destroy Optus, it's important for competition. You know, um, other ministers weren't perhaps so generous <laughs> and uh, you know, you know, were, were talking in very dark tones about what might become of Optus under a new legal regime if this sort of thing happened. Um, and then um, yesterday we found that um, some of these complaints about Optus might not have been justified. And the reason for that is that the the, the fast matrix of legislation and regulations around these sorts of things was has been found to be pretty unfit for purpose. Something Claire O'Neill herself said. She, in fact, she was quoted as saying that she she thought the laws available to her were bloody useless. Now, what, what's interesting about this is that when the critical infrastructure laws were introduced a couple of years back, and before that, the telco sector security reforms, the, the relevant minister back in those days, the Attorney General, was given incredibly wide-sweeping powers um, over security. Basically, and I remember this debate quite vividly, a, a power to direct an operator to do or not do a specified thing, which is about as broad a power as you can think of, you know, in terms of giving a minister effectively that kind of overlord status over what telcos do in regard to security. But apparently that power wasn't enough. And this um, was brought to light at a press conference Um held by Communications Minister Michelle Rowland and Treasurer Jim Chalmers, where they basically acknowledged, yeah, we, we, didn't, we, we didn't quite have the regulations that we needed to compel Optus or to legally enable Optus to share what is private customer identity information with outside entities, such as Services Australia, you know, which, which Centrelink, you know, we run Medicare cards and so on. And, and with the banks, and of course, the banks want that information because they want to be able to um, put that subset of their customers whose identities have been compromised on a high alert, you know, looking out for people trying to open credit in their names or whatever. So we, we found that the existing regulations were deficient and that Optus, um, quite understandably, was reticent to do something which could get them into deeper hot water. So anyway, let's hear from Michelle Rowland and from Jim Chalmers and what they had to say. I'm here with the Treasurer today to announce new measures that the government is taking in response to the Optus data breach and the importance of protecting consumers going forward. What we are going to do is amend the telecommunications regulations to do two things. This is going to enable Optus and other telcos to better coordinate with financial institutions to detect and mitigate the risks of malicious activity, including ID theft and scams. And the second is to allow Optus to share limited information about customers with government agencies like Services Australia to assist in preventing fraud. 
Now, what this is all about is to try and reduce the impact of this data breach on Optus customers and to enable financial institutions to implement enhanced safeguards and monitoring. And that's because we take people's personal information and the protection of that very seriously. We have consulted widely in relation to these measures and done proper diligence in respect of what would be the most appropriate instrument to give effect to this. We have designed these regulations with strong privacy and security safeguards to ensure that only limited information is made available for a specific set of designated purposes. For example, financial services entities who will be eligible to receive the data must be APRA-regulated financial institutions. Information can only be used for the sole purposes of preventing or responding to cybersecurity incidents, fraud, scam activity or identity theft. The approved recipients must satisfy very robust information security requirements and protocols for the transfer and storage of data, and information received must be destroyed when it's no longer required. As I said, we have undertaken extensive consultation across the financial services sector with telco providers, with the Privacy Commissioner and across ministers in developing this change. It really has been a whole-of-government effort and one that is designed with the sole purpose of protecting consumers going forward. I'd just like to note that these regulations uh, will be the latest in a raft of rapid but very measured initiatives under this government in response to this breach with the sole purpose of keeping Australians safe. We have been working closely, as I said, as ministers to mitigate the risk. The AFP launched Operation Hurricane in coordination with the FBI as part of that attempt to identify those behind the breach, and that is, of course, ongoing. And the AFP separately launched Operation Guardian to provide special monitoring and protection to some 10,000 customers who had their information released on the dark web. As I've said previously, uh, other ministers have also impressed upon Optus their obligations to mitigate the risk to Australians. And it is pleasing to see that Optus announced that it would fund 12-month credit monitoring services for affected customers. So these new regulations, as I said, will facilitate targeted data sharing between telcos and financial institutions. And Australians should rest assured that this government remains committed to coordinating and bringing the full resources of government to mitigate the risk to Australians as a result of this data breach. Thanks very much, Michelle. I want to pay tribute to Michelle uh, for her work that she's been doing, working closely uh, with Claire O'Neill and Mark Dreyfus and Bill Shorten and Stephen Jones and others, and with the Prime Minister, of course, uh, to get to the position where we can announce these regulations today. Michelle has been working around the clock uh, with those other colleagues to make sure uh, that we are doing what we can to protect consumers who have been impacted by this Opta data breach. Uh, this, uh, what we're announcing today, the proposed amendments we're announcing today, come after extensive consultation uh, with the financial regulators and other financial institutions on how we can best protect consumers following that Optus data breach. Uh, we've worked really closely uh, with the industry, uh, with APRA, the ACCC, the Information Commissioner and other agencies to ensure uh, that we can facilitate as best we can uh, the safe and secure sharing of data between Optus and regulated financial institutions with appropriate safeguards uh, and commitments given by the affected parties. Uh, I want to thank the regulators and the industry. We have been convening uh, meetings with regulators, with the industry, with banks and others 
uh, really for uh, much of the last week and a half to make sure that we get to this position where we can make this announcement today. Uh, the banks and other financial institutions have been quite proactive, I should say, in putting in place uh, heightened controls to protect their customers. And these regulations that we're proposing to the Governor-General are all about building on those efforts uh, to allow the banks to undertake enhanced monitoring and put in place additional safeguards. Uh, they've been carefully designed uh, with strong privacy and security safeguards to ensure that only limited information can be made available temporarily uh, to prevent and respond to cybersecurity incidents, fraud, scams and related activities. Uh, they cover, as Michelle said, financial institutions that are regulated by APRA, uh, apart from the foreign bank branches, and they give Michelle, as Communications Minister, the ability to specifically uh, add financial service entities if required, but only where those entities are related to or support an APRA-regulated uh, entity. Uh, entities will be able to receive government identifier information, such as driver's licence numbers, Medicare and passport numbers, of the affected customers, but not names, addresses, dates of birth or other personal information. And what this does is it helps ensure that the information which is shared is appropriately targeted. And to be eligible to receive the data, the institutions need to make a number of undertakings in writing. They need to comply with the Privacy Act obligations to the ACCC, which are enforceable under Australian consumer law, they need to meet APRA's relevant information security standard. They need to ensure the information they're seeking is necessary and proportionate. They need to satisfy robust security requirements and protocols for data transfer and storage. And they need to ensure that the information that they get is destroyed when it's no longer required. Uh, it's important that we uh, note here that for data security reasons we won't be disclosing the details of any financial institutions that receive the data uh, from Optus and this is based on strong advice from the regulators. Uh, we also recognise that some entities, including uh, non-APRA regulated entities and some of the smaller institutions, uh, may not be eligible or have the capacity to digest uh, this data in this form. And that's why we've asked the Council of Financial Regulators to examine options to improve the ability of financial institutions to identify their at-risk customers via the Australian Financial Crimes Exchange. Uh, which is an existing secure data sharing platform. Uh, these steps that we announced today are all about helping Optus and the financial services sector and the relevant agencies work together more effectively to pro protect customers affected by the breach. If there are further steps that need to be taken, we will take them. Uh, Claire O'Neill, Michelle Rowland and other ministers have made that clear. Uh, we think this is a really important step that we're taking today, but if further steps are required, we'll take them. Mark. Okay, moving on. We have a very special guest who's visiting us from the United Kingdom, David Hiscock, who's uh, a senior vice president, the head of the International Centre of Excellence at Ribbon Communications, who's visiting Sydney this week. Welcome to the studio, David. Thank you. Do appreciate it, and thanks. Thanks for having me. Okay. Uh, now, for those who um, are geographically challenged, um, you, you you actually come from a part of the world called Maidenhead, and 
um, a lot of people will have seen that on TV in the last few days because, of course, that's where Windsor Castle is and uh, where Queen Elizabeth II um, was finally laid to rest the other day. She was indeed, yes. Uh, her, her reign is eventually over. Um, goodness, um, it, change is inevitable, but uh, 70 years on the throne is just an amazing feat. Uh, we have uh, a lot of respect for uh, Queen Elizabeth II. Uh, and I was at uh, Windsor Castle uh, laying some flowers last weekend. Wow, okay. Now, um, Ribbon Communications, for, for those who um, may have forgotten, because we have talked about Ribbon on this podcast and, of course, in the pages of Comms Day many times, um, Ribbon is essentially the, the modern incarnation of gem band Sonus and ECI Telecom. And, and if you go right back, apparently, some of North Hill Networks, but, of course, none of us are that old. Um, Ribbon does some very, very interesting things in the telecom space. And um, uh, David, if you could tell us a, a bit about what, uh, what Ribbon's up to at the moment and particularly why you're visiting Sydney. Mm. Okay, no, thank you. Um, so key, key for us, the, uh, uh, the Australian New Zealand uh, markets, we have uh, some real strategic customers here. Uh, but also we are uh, heavily into the enterprise space uh, as well as our service providers. Um, Ribbon um, has uh, multifaceted in the uh, voice uh, and uh, unified comms space. So we uh, transform uh, service providers uh, from a TDM to an IP base and we uh, deliver a lot of complex services out to, uh, to the market. Uh, but we also partner uh, with uh, many of the um, uh, global providers now of uh, unified comms such as uh, the Microsoft Teams, the Zoom phones, uh, but also with uh, others out there, uh, such as uh, Google, Google Voice, and um, with... Uh... Hmm, okay. Now, correct me if I'm wrong here, but the way I see Ribbon is that you're, you exist in the point where, I guess, traditional telcos intersect with the emerging cloud, or well, not even emerging, of course. A lot of telcos are in the cloud now. Not necessarily a comfortable fit, though. But, um, of course, the lesson of the last couple of years was that COVID pretty much compelled telcos to think very seriously about what they were doing in the cloud space. Now COVID's over, where do you see telcos sitting in, in relation to how they've embraced the cloud and where are the opportunities for them from here? Okay. Um, so, number one, we dearly hope that COVID is over. <laughs> That's got to be a statement there. Um, still knocking around in various places, so uh, let's... Uh, let, let's hope. Let's hope we've seen the back of it. Uh, from a cloud perspective, uh, Ribbon uh, prides itself as being being a, an industry leader in moving customers to the cloud uh, in a secure, resilient, and reliable manner. Um, we are helping our service provider customers move, uh, our service provider partners, apologies, uh, move in that direction uh, with with their uh, infrastructure. But if, if you actually think about the enterprise market and the market uh, either in business or, or um, uh, uh, employee base, uh, uh, empl employees, customers have thrown money at the problem over the pandemic. Um, and now we're in a period uh, post-pandemic of pause, reflection, and is, is what I've invested in so far scalable, fit my, my long-term needs, but also, have I built this in a reliable and uh, resilient nature? And that's where we're helping a lot of our customers. And as we're saying on the global, the global guys, 
where where are they going? What are they doing? What are their investment plans? And are they fit for purpose for our customers? In in many cases, that is absolutely the fact. But what we're seeing, especially in our larger uh, customers and larger uh, um, target markets, a hybrid networking is going to be here and it's going to be here to stay. I'm actually proud of the industry because the industry uh, has transformed the world to a better place as far as I'm concerned uh, for everything from um, uh, uh, better fit for, uh, for work for life balance to, uh, to mental health uh, available to, uh, to, to uh, work where I want to rather than where my office is. Of course, the thing, though, is that a lot of the value that's been created in this market now occurs at the over-the-top layer, and it's not inherently captured by telcos. So is, is that a challenge for telcos, and is that a problem that Rib Ribbon um, attempts to help address with telco customers? Uh, very much so. Um, so uh, telcos or service providers you know, deliver solutions that their customers want, otherwise they'll be out of business. Uh, um, the install base, the, uh, the the customer base that the telcos have is is the vast majority of the market. If you actually look at um, the uh, PSDN connections for Microsoft Teams, uh, up at 12 million, you've got uh, Zoom phone at uh, uh, 4 million lines, Telstra's got more than that just, just in Australia. So, you know, the, the service providers, you know, are extremely necessary and uh, own own a lot of that customer base and will be servicing that customer base with maybe some of the global global uh, uh, partners or with with uh, a hybrid solution uh, of uh, their own their own infrastructure. And I can hear hear some tooting in the background, um, but with a hybrid solution to fit uh, both the uh, technology needs of a customer, but also commercially, uh, something that, that fits their budget. Okay, now Ribbon um, bills itself as a major player in the unified communications as a service and the contact center as a service markets. Now, uh, they're, they're, they're acronyms um, that our readers see a lot of, but don't necessarily live with day by day. So can you, you explain the role you play in that ecosystem? Uh, so very much we are... Uh, enablers of uh, some of the uh, the household names that many people have seen and heard of and used in the uh, in the pandemic. Um, we are uh, very proud to be partners of uh, many of the contact centre players as well. Uh, so uh, uh, we're we're more in the underlying technology to secure, make resilient, and uh, uh, make sure those uh, uh, those uh, um, technologies are uh, used for their their, um, uh, their purpose. Uh, contact centres are moving from a uh, very large, you know, on-prem, on-premise uh, solution to the cloud. Um, and the reason for doing that, one, efficiency, uh, but number two, to keep pace with feature functionality. You've got to remember contact centres are the front door for many organisations. They, um, uh, they are how many of these organisations make revenue. So what we do is either provide technologies to provide the uh, uh, connectivity to those uh, those contact center solutions, uh, and you know most most of those guys are uh, uh, transforming themselves into cloud-based companies as we speak. Okay, now looking overall at the market, we're, we're in an interesting situation right now where you've got all the traditional telcos are pretty much all still around. You've got 
traditional tech companies, your Cisco's, your, um, your Microsoft's, have moved into communication services and are doing a lot of things in that space. And then you've had you've got the emergence of the hyperscalers, the newer breed of companies, the AWSs, you know, and and, and so on. The even the um, some of the Chinese companies, for example, um, playing playing like Alibaba and so on, playing that space. So, um, is there room for everyone here, or are there going to be winners and losers? My goodness, um, uh, there are certainly going to be winners and losers, certainly in uh, certain spaces. Um, uh, I think you know Amazon, AWS, they've done a phenomenal job in their space. Uh, they've really created a lot of value. Uh, in uh, in what they do and how they've they've um, uh, grown over the years, and, and you've got Microsoft uh, with Azure, you've got um, uh, Google that are uh, very much trying to carve their own space in uh, in a very as you said congested market. Um, what we're seeing is we you know are seeing um, uh, a lot of uh, application um, uh, providers moving into cloud uh, solutions. Um, some require a lot of hand-holding, some require none whatsoever. What we're doing is we're trying to, again, make that journey a secure one, a resilient one, uh, because, again, someone, someone having it in their own, uh, the application in their own data center just around the corner uh, it may well be uh, something that uh, uh, the uh, contact center manager or whoever wants to have there, uh, but the realities of life uh, especially with electricity prices going through the roof, it may be too costly for him to keep keep his own data center or keep his own uh, uh, server base. And what we're trying to do is just make sure uh, continuity of services are in in those data centers or in in the cloud, uh, but also the value is there uh, for their customers. Okay. Um, now we're talking a lot about services here, but. Ribbon also plays in the optical networking space as well. Of course, that's of great interest to many of our listeners. So tell us about that. I appreciate it. Um, so uh, just before the pandemic, tail end of 2019, uh, Ribbon uh, acquired ECI Telecom, um, who are a really innovative player in the IP and uh, optic space. Um, uh, they have a huge investment in uh, um, 5G backhaul, and some of the markets that they play there, they play in the most competitive market in the world in uh, in India and uh, do uh, exceptionally well. And in Central Europe, a good good uh, uh, area of focus is the critical infrastructure space, where they are providing um, uh, uh, optical networking for uh, signaling control for um, industries such as the electricity generation and railways and so much so they they, they do uh, uh, dominate the market share of uh, the European players there. Okay now Ribbon opened a Sydney office I believe it was back in May and uh, uh, and more than just an office it was it was it's got labs and, and training rooms and you can proof of concept facilities and so on and so forth. Um, Tell us about what Ribbon's up to in the ANZ market, your trajectory, your momentum. Obviously, you're here um, this week. Um, tell us what your plans are in, in, in Australia and New Zealand. Well, I think you keep me up nicely there. Um, we have a new office. We've invested in, in the region. Uh, we have uh, a very good crew here, uh, a very experienced uh, 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 team members, both on the sales support and pre-sales side, but we're hiring, hiring more as well. 
uh, a very key region for us. We have a large install base of, uh, of customers through the plethora of uh, companies, as you pointed out, uh, in the uh, in the ribbon ribbon portfolio. But we see this as a as a key area for investment, mainly because the ANZ market is ahead of the curve. It's probably probably only second to North America in cloud adoption. Um, it's literally 25% uh, um, adoption rate, and many European countries and, and uh, global countries are way behind that. Um, it's, it's seen as an innovator uh, and uh, a sector of, of the world that, that will invest in new technologies to provide the value add uh, and value creation here. So why, why wouldn't we be here? And finally, and on that note, um, why do you think Australia and New Zealand um, are, are such cutting-edge adopters of cloud technology vis-a-vis -vis particularly the rest of Asia-Pacific? Ooh, uh, good question. Um, uh, I'd say, you know, education, um, you know, there's, there's, there's a, lot of, a lot of expertise here. Uh, and I'd also say, you know, uh, business creation is a very competitive market and um, uh, service providers have had to get creative to survive. Um, we, we see a lot of RFPs and a lot of uh, um, uh, uh, interest in new technologies. Um, as I said, the, uh, the innovation is here and we're very happy to uh, partner with, uh, with both telcos and, uh, and enterprises to uh, assist in that innovation. Okay, David, we're out of time, um, but thank you very much for the, dropping by the studio and sharing your insights with us. Thank you very much indeed. Appreciate the time. Take care. That's it for Comms Day Live this week. See you next time.